Good morning. Uh, on behalf of Mission to the World, wait, let me, I'm sorry, I need to turn something on. Is that better? Thank you, sir. Uh, on behalf of Mission to the World, I do want to express my heartfelt thank you uh, for Sycamore Presbyterian Church and your faithful support, prayers of our many missionaries. And so thank you also for the privilege of being able to open up God's word today with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. This is God's very own word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, Father, please help us by your Holy Spirit to understand these words. Pray that your Spirit would lead the words that come from my mouth, Lord, that we would hear what you have for us today. We pray through Jesus. Amen. Our family had the privilege of serving as missionaries in Southeast Asia for about 10 years, first in the Philippines and then in Cambodia. Let me ask you a question. Uh, Who is the most respected king in Southeast Asia? Now, I would argue it was the former king of Thailand. The king of Thailand was loved and revered by his people, by his subjects, He wasn't just a a political uh, figurehead. In fact, he had real influence over the people of the land. Some of you might remember uh, a few years ago, there was quite a bit of civil unrest in Thailand. There was political demonstrations on the streets, and it got to such a point that people weren't sure what was going to happen to the nation. But it only took the king of Thailand to stand before his people and to address them, to say something as simple as this. Stop your demonstrations and behave as Thai ought to behave. And at that, people would literally drop their signs, pick up their stuff, and go home. Can you imagine that happening here in the United States? (laughs) But do you realize, beloved, that we also have a king? His name is Jesus. And what do you think people say about us who belong to his kingdom? Do they say, well, his, his people don't really respect him very much? Or do they say, at his command, they will drop everything and follow in obedience? This morning we heard the last words of our Lord before he ascended into heaven. And as we reflect on these words, this commission that he gives to his disciples, we will recognize first and foremost that it is a commission of grace. Secondly, we will see that it's a commission with authority. 
And finally, we'll see it's a commission for all of Jesus' disciples. And so I think the first thing the Lord is telling us this morning is that we really don't deserve to be a part of this kingdom-building work. If you remember the Great Commission, this familiar passage comes in the context of the resurrection. This is, in fact, an Easter passage. So can you imagine what must have been going on in those disciples' minds as they heard early Sunday morning those words of Mary Magdalene? Jesus is risen, and he wants to meet you in Galilee. How could this be? Just three days earlier, their Savior was hung on a cross, his body limp, crucified. How could it be that he's alive? How could it be that he wants to meet them in Galilee? If you remember, where were the disciples at the time? They were in Jerusalem. Galilee was probably about 60 to 70 miles away, so it easily took them four or five days to travel up from Jerusalem down to Galilee. Can you imagine what they must have been talking about on the way? Perhaps their minds flash back to the last time they were all gathered together. Perhaps echoing in their ears were the words of their Lord that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. You can't even keep watch and pray with me for one hour. Rise, behold, my betrayer is at hand. And do you remember the scene when the angry mob came with clubs and spears and swords? All of his disciples, all of his brothers, what did they do? They ran away. They fled. They left him. Certainly, Peter must have remembered how Jesus turned and looked at him in the courtyard of the high priest after the rooster crowed. And so I can imagine these disciples walking to the place where they would meet Jesus, filled with conflicting emotions, not only wonder and awe that maybe Jesus really is alive, but also fear and guilt and shame that they would have to face the one that they denied and abandoned. When I was about 10 years old, my my older brother and I uh, and a neighborhood friend were playing at a park just a couple blocks from our house. And while we were playing there, minding our own business, these older neighborhood bullies from, from pretty far away started to yell at us and started to tease us and Being rascally uh, 10-year-old boys, uh, we yelled back, not expecting what would happen. They started chasing after us, and we had our bikes there at the time, and so we all hopped on our bikes, and we pedaled as fast as we could back home, back where it was safe, back in our lawn. And I remember pedaling, my heart beating and screaming and yelling and hearing screaming, and and sure enough, I was the first back home where it was safe. And then my friend uh, next to me, and we looked back over our shoulders, and there was my brother a block away. The chain had fallen off. Sure enough, those older high school bullies came and took a couple cheap shots and took off, and there was my brother, humiliated, angry, mad, weeping, crying. He picked up his bike, he walked it over to where we were standing, and and we were just watching this whole thing unfold, and he, he threw down his bike, he came up to me, and then he slugged me in the stomach and said, where were you? After this incident, we asked our dad to teach us taekwondo. It only lasted a couple weeks. 
You see, we should expect Jesus to come and meet his disciples and to slug them in the stomach, right? Say, where were you? But he doesn't. He doesn't mention any of their failures, any of their cowardice, any of their sins. Not even the fact that when he was standing before them, that some of them doubted him. In fact, when he goes to Mary Magdalene, what does he tell her? He says, go and tell my brothers. He uses the word brothers to meet me and God, even Peter. And so what we see here right at the beginning of the Great Commission is a picture of God's amazing grace, his amazing mercy, his amazing love. Because what do these disciples deserve? Well, they deserve to be abandoned, right? They deserve to be denied before the Father. They deserve to be excluded from the kingdom of God. But instead of rebuke, what does Jesus do? Well, he forgives them. He pursues them. And then he enlists them into this kingdom service to complete what he began. And so we see this is a picture of amazing grace. And we ask ourselves this morning, who are these disciples? Well, they're us. (laughs) We're just like them. Maybe some of you have come this morning feeling the same things, feeling guilt. Shame, fear. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone that I have offended, that I actually respect, overlooks my offense and shows me grace, I can't help but respect that person even more. And when he demonstrates to me that my relationship with him is so secure, that there's no strings attached for his affection for me, I can't help but love him even more. And when I'm convinced that I don't have to pretend to be something that I'm not in front of, that he sees me for who I am with all of my brokenness, my cowardice, my fears, my insecurities and sins, and still loves me, I can't help but be passionate for what he is passionate for. And so we ask ourselves this morning, where does passion for missions come from? Passion for mission comes from a passion for our king who has laid down his life to deliver us from all of our sins and brokenness and loneliness and failures. You see, this isn't guilt trip motivation for missions. We've heard many, many sermons like that, but this is motivation for missions that springs from a sincere love and affection for Jesus. And so the more that we dwell upon his grace for us, the more fuel that we add to missions fire in our hearts. And so, beloved, it is true, we we don't deserve to be a part of this great commission work. Yet he calls us, allows us this incredible privilege by his grace. Now, the second thing I believe the Lord is telling us this morning is that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid to engage in this great commission. Why? Because Jesus, our sender, has been given all authority both in heaven and on on earth. My fear, beloved, is that we don't really believe this. 
We don't believe that we send, support, give, go to the nations with the authority of Christ. You know, when I talk to people about missions, I usually meet one of two responses. One is utter fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety uh, of even contemplating, sharing our faith, making disciples, let alone praying whether God is actually calling me to serve him overseas to leave the comforts of home and family. Even for those who are called to give, oftentimes they're, they're afraid to give beyond what's comfortable. We need to ask ourselves, do we believe that Jesus, the one who owns all the cattle on a thousand hills, has been given authority both in heaven and earth, and that when we engage in this work, we do so with his authority. So if one extreme is utter fear and anxiety, the other extreme would be what? Overconfidence, maybe even pride as we engage in missions. Perhaps some of us think that because we are educated, because we're wealthy, because we're from the West, that somehow the world just has to listen to us. We think that we have authority in ourselves and we go in our own strength and confidence doing this work of the kingdom. Our first mission field was actually the Philippines. And when we first arrived, I had just finished my Ph.D. in New Testament studies. And so I went to the local seminary there, the Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Cavite, and was being introduced and was so excited at the thought that I would finally be able to teach there. And, and secretly, quite honestly, in my heart of hearts, I was thinking, these students are so lucky to have someone like me, right? So I meet these students, and they're so friendly, and one of them uh, introduced himself, and then he asked me, he said, so what year in school are you here? thought I was a student. So offended, of course, you know, I'm not a student. I came as a teacher, but as missionaries, you, you can't be proud, right, externally at least. And so I said to him, well, actually, I, I don't go to school here. He said, well, are you going to apply? <laughs> we need to ask ourselves some hard questions, right? What are we basing our confidence upon as we engage in this work of missions? Is it our education? Is it our wealth? Is it our power, our influence? Or do we believe that Jesus has all authority both in heaven and on earth and that we go and do this work with his authority? Only by the authority that Jesus gives us by his Holy Spirit that we can do anything, quite honestly, of lasting value for his kingdom. You know the promise at the end of the Great Commission? We know it well. What does it say? Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. I think sometimes we read these words and we think somehow that Jesus kind of hovers over us and follows us as we go about sharing our faith or doing the work of missions. I don't think that's quite the picture of our passage that we read today. Rather, it is a promise of Jesus' indwelling spirit in us equipping us, empowering us to this task that he has called us. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God has given you his Holy Spirit, Jesus' Spirit, in your heart for this task? 
You know, when that knowledge drops from our head to our hearts, two things happen simultaneously. Number one, we become incredibly confident. At the same time, we become incredibly humble. We are confident because we know that Jesus is calling us to a task that cannot fail and is giving us a power that has no bounds. At the same time, we become incredibly humble knowing that it is not us, not our giftedness, not our eloquence, not our power, but the Holy Spirit of Jesus in us by which the work of the kingdom advances. So number one, the Lord is telling us, we do not deserve to be a part of this kingdom building work, and yet he calls us by his grace. Second, he is telling us we cannot do this work of the kingdom by our own strength, confidence, or authority, but we can by his. And finally, I believe the Lord is telling us this morning that everyone who is a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Christ, needs to be involved in this great commission work. So let's break it down a little bit. What are those two main tasks from our passage that Jesus associates with making disciples? First, baptism, right? Second, teaching. Why baptism? Baptism is a sign that signifies one's entrance into the community of Jesus' disciples. Essentially, it's saying in receiving this sign that today I die. And am reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit to live as a follower of Jesus. My sins have been washed and have been cleansed to follow my King. Teaching, why teaching? Teaching is the means that Jesus uses to grow and mature his followers, his citizens, his disciples who belong to his kingdom. And so not only are we to lead people to this radical commitment of following Jesus, but to nurture them in their faith, to obey everything that Jesus commands. To obey everything. that Je- What's included in that everything? This command to go and make disciples. Did you catch that? You see, part and parcel then of being a disciple is to make disciples. The truth is, however, we cannot make disciples unless we first are disciples. And so let me ask you this morning, have you made that radical commitment to follow Jesus, to receive his Holy Spirit, to live as a follower of Christ by the power of his Spirit? And are we committed to a lifetime of learning and growing in the gospel of grace? Maybe you're saying, not ready for all of this. Isn't it the pastor's job to baptize and teach? And Yes, of course, God has his ordained servants to carry out these functions. But you see, we cannot get away from the fact that if you are a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, we are called to obey everything he commands, including this command to be involved in making disciples among the nations. These Four pastors uh, go to a restaurant, and uh, they are seated and wait patiently for the waitress. She finally comes, and she gets the menu. She throws them on the table. She says, what do you want? In fact, she is so rude to these men, their whole meal is ruined. Their, their evening is ruined. After they finish, they, they pay the bill, and the most senior pastor calls the waitress over because he wants to have a word with her. He looks her straight in the eye, 
And he says, seems like you've had a really hard day. And then he hands her a $100 bill. Please take this. She is so moved by this act of generosity, she starts to cry, she starts to weep, she starts to pour out her heart, all the problems of her life. And right there, the pastor shares the gospel with her. And she receives Jesus as her Savior and King. Out in the parking lot, the most senior pastor, this, the senior pastor turns to his colleagues and he says, and now I want each of you to give me $25. <laughs> you see, everybody can be involved in making disciples. Some leading people to this radical commitment and others, well, you know, give your $25. But of course, what are these teachings of our Savior? Well, they're gospel teachings, are they not? So we don't have to teach our disciples that somehow they have to have these perfect moral lives. What is discipleship? It is simply showing someone else how to apply the gospel to all the aspects of our life. To our marriage. To how we raise our children. To our place in society. To how we think about work. And when the center of discipleship is the gospel, then the focus is less on us and more on who? Jesus, we don't have to pretend to be something that we're not. In fact, we go to those whom we seek to make disciples of Jesus and say to them, we are just as broken, we struggle with sins, we are those who are in need of this same gospel that we share with you every single day. We are in fact simply beggars, showing other beggars where to find food. Now, certainly we can be involved in making disciples here. We've heard a testimony, a missionary moment, even earlier this morning. Certainly many different nations have come. But you you see, beloved, we simply cannot get away from the fact that the Great Commission is still here for us. And the Great Commission tells the Church of Christ to go to other nations, to other places, in order to fulfill our king's redemptive purposes and plans for his world, for his creation. And so our king, Jesus, risen from the grave, exalted to the highest place, calls us to carry forth his message. He hands us the baton and says, join me in this mission in bringing the gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. And so you see, beloved, this is not an option for us. It's not something we do if we have extra time, but included in the very definition of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so I ask you this morning, beloved, do we respect our king? Our king has delivered us from the burdens of sin, the weight of our guilt and our shame. And our king has set us free. And so, beloved, let us respect our king. And may his vision for the nations be our vision as well. Amen. Heavenly Father, we are amazed by how lavish your grace is for us. And we do come and confess to you all of our insecurities and fears and our sins. 
And ask, O Lord, that as we reflect more upon your grace, that you would put in us a fire for your mission, for your kingdom. Give us the wisdom and discernment in knowing how each of us, everyone who is a follower of Christ, might be engaged and involved in this work of the kingdom. We pray this through your son Jesus, for his sake. Amen.